Hey everybody, welcome back to uh, episode, I shouldn't be losing count already, and uh, but it's number two I think, episode number two of the Don't Tread On podcast. I am your host, founder, CEO, and uh, mostly benevolent dictator of Don't Tread On Philly, uh, Torin Donowski. Um, tonight's going to be a kind of a fun show, I got a, got a, got a good friend, Mark uh, Yerchak on, uh, but, uh, for now I want to do some quick housekeeping, um, lots of stuff going on. I'm, we're going to, um, pretty sure we're going to do, uh, mostly Mondays and, and Thursday nights, not necessarily going to be every Monday night, not, not necessarily going to be every Thursday night, but, uh, you know, Monday and or Thursday, we'll probably have a show at about eight 30. I got some cool guests lined up. Uh, of course I've got Mark tonight. Uh, Thursday is going to be me giving a little bit more of my story and some cool things that are going on. Uh, Monday, next Monday, uh, there may or may not be a show, but then, uh, next Thursday, I believe we will have, uh, Jacob Daniel, the Daniel three podcast to, to, um, we're going to be talking, uh, biblical anarchy. So religion and anarchy and see how those things, uh, interact. And then the week after that, we're going to have, uh, who people in, in PA consider to be the least funny man in Pennsylvania and people outside of PA consider him to be one of the funniest men in Pennsylvania professional comedian Adam Nutter will be on on Monday, August 8th. Um, other than that, yeah, we're going to get ready to go. I think I'm ready. I got my uh, I got my glass of uh, of Philly uh, water here. Um, I uh, but yeah, we're going to get uh, going to get Mark on. And yeah, he is the uh, chair of LP Philly. He he educated recently engineered a coup in the middle of the night that would make John Bolton cry. It was a bloodless. He took over the LP Philly. Um, but he's a good friend. I've been hanging out with him a lot lately. Uh, we've been collecting signatures to get on the ballot for state representative. So I'm excited to have him on. And uh, yeah, so here we go. How's it going? Mark, what's up, dude? How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, long time, uh, long time no talk. Uh, I mean, we're. <laughs> I feel like I feel like every day we're uh, on the phone or something at least two or three times a day, or knocking on doors in the sweltering heat. But... <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know how we survived yesterday. That was brutal. <laughs> yeah. It was it was fun though. It... Yeah, I think after after we uh, took a break, uh, went and had a couple of beers, and then uh, went back out to the. Uh, to the parking lot at the grocery store i think uh, we had a little bit more fun that night it was a good time um but yeah so mark here is the uh the chair of lp philly um yeah mark why don't you go ahead and tell us a little about yourself why why would you do that to yourself why would you want to become a chair of what will hopefully one day be the greatest uh, county affiliate in the country uh, we're yeah. still a long way away from that, but with Angela, Angela McArdle moving on from LA, uh, I think our odds got a lot higher. Um, no offense to whoever took over. I'm sure he's a great dude, but, uh, I, yeah, Angela is, is a force to be reckoned with, but yeah, tell me a little about yourself. How'd you get involved? Why? Um, yeah. How'd you become a libertarian? Yeah. So the, the, the quick answer to that question is I read a lot of books. Like I went from neocon to anarchist in, I don't know, like, five books or something like a year like it, it it all started it all started actually when my sister sent me a book um an economics book uh like a corporate economics book from the job she was working and uh it was called donut economics by kate rayworth i think and i was like oh economics like i 
I like reading books. Like this looks interesting. And then like I read the introduction and it's all activism. It's like the the students at the at, at the universities like are are storming the professors' uh, offices, like demanding uh, you know certain social justice type things and like it's it, like the, the book itself was was wasn't about economics it was about uh social justice it was about how can we how how why are there rich people in america while there are poor people in africa and what can we do about that and the best avenue of of creating a more egalitarian world was through economics and that's why she was interested in economics and then after that i was like all right i'm gonna learn some economics so i i had some friends who um uh, who are who are constantly trying to get me to read laissez-faire economics from the Mises Institute, um, or you know, go there or like read those like literature? And I was like, uh, economics, like there's different schools of thought. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, and then once I read that, I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna learn like the fundamentals. I'm gonna go straight to like the the laissez-faire uh, like epicenter, which I didn't I didn't know much. It was just through these friends. So, like, what I did was uh, they they recommended uh, like. A list of, of simple like you know econ 101 books like first i read like whatever happened to petty candy and economics in one lesson from henry hazlitt and then uh i <laughs> i jumped straight into the uh economic treatise human action by ludo von mises and uh basically like long story short like that led me to reading murray rothbard's economics and then murray rothbard economics led me to murray rothbard anarcho-capitalism and then murray rothbard anarcho-capitalism led me to like the whole like world of uh of libertarian thought from anarchist to minarchist to and all the podcasts and all those things so yeah like i i and then to answer your question of why did i want to become like chair affiliate and get involved in the politics it was like well um like the more you read about it the more you want to stop reading about it and doing doing something about the uh pr both promoting the ideas and actually like putting them into into the world as much as you can Nice. That's a, that's a lot better than uh, than than Jacob Winograd's answer. Uh, he's a libertarian because he hates rich and poor people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I like that. I like that answer. <laughs> yeah. So what uh, for for those of us who don't know what uh, you know who is who is Ludwig von Mises? What is the Mises Institute? So Ludwig von Mises is um, he's an economist who uh, was. Uh, came up in the Austro-Hungarian Empire, you know, during you know, pre-World War One, uh, and he's Jewish, and he's actually one of those, uh, like, you know, great Jews who came to the United States because the Nazis chased him out. So uh, he he is uh, he's he's widely considered the um, the peak of the the laissez-faire theory. Like his his treatise Human Action is considered like so so laissez-faire economic theory isn't 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 really popular anymore it isn't really taught in schools like the 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 principles are you know overlap a lot with like what what they teach you in schools and stuff but like what makes the ludwig von mises's economic theory very unique is he anytime he brings up the government in his economic theory it's always in a negative context it's uh, the entire theory is like the relationships between human beings it's like very cause and effect like it, it it's like if you have you know increase immigration then that will um drive the prices down for your goods and services but like things every everything has a trade-off it's like if you uh if you save if, if the society saves up money then that will drive down the interest and it'll be easy and people are competing with each other on who to lend money and like it's it's a very like rational uh 
thought out theory that like that's that's kind of the thing i liked it is like it's it's very logical you start from like a premise and you go like one logical step at a time and then by the end you're like oh and that's what you know uh supply and demand theory of supply and demand and things like that is so um ludic Mises is not considered uh like he, he he's considered a libertarian he he's considered a um a classical liberal like he he didn't believe in no government he believed in uh a limited government where the the, the state protects people's rights uh the police you know make sure people aren't killing each other but for the most part like the government doesn't get involved in uh people you know fr free exchange of goods and services the government doesn't get involved in that yeah so like cause and effect you're saying so when you when you pr when you print like uh, 80 percent of your country's money money supply over the course of two years uh you're gonna see inflation <laughs> yeah oh uh, and, and, and and sorry real, real quick another thing i want to say about the the theory that was really cool is that like it's 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 simple enough for uh some simple lay people like us to like grasp it and talk about it and like once once i read that theory then i was able to like you know have all these conversations and like have all these opinions that i wouldn't that i wouldn't have otherwise and i you wouldn't have to go to like an ex a quote expert like paul krugman to be like well paul krugman said this and that's why i believe this it's like you can you can actually learn a little the one-on-one pretty pretty and you don't have to read human action like there's quicker ways to learn it yeah, that's uh, that's not what the New York Times tells you. It's basically, well, Paul Krugman writes for the New York Times. He's won a Nobel Prize. Therefore, what he says is true. And yet he's constantly wrong. I think Dave Smith and Robbie just did a, a takedown of one of his recent um, one of his recent interviews. And that, that was kind of fun to watch. But uh you mentioned uh, Ludwig von Mises, and uh, we are both involved in something called the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party. I believe uh, it was probably right around this time last year you actually onboarded me onto, into the Mises Caucus uh, when I finally decided yeah. to join. So how long now have you been a Libertarian? Why did you join the party? Why did you join the Mises Caucus? So I guess... Uh... I've been registered libertarian since uh, the beginning of 2020. So the, I, I guess the thing that really got me involved in the politics was um, endorsement from a lot of podcasters, I guess. Uh, and also like COVID, like I spent a lot of time just sitting in my room, social distancing, not doing much. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, shoot, like I like these guys are meeting in person and they're not afraid, afraid, afraid of the uh, of the of the spicy flu. And I'm like. <laughs> I'll go hang out with them. And uh, like, I think M Montgomery County, uh, which is, you know, in, in the vicinity of Philadelphia, uh, they were the only committee meeting in person. And that was the first like the first real living, breathing libertarians I, I really met was these guys who weren't afraid to uh, have meetings in the middle of COVID. Like uh, it was illegal to, for, for them to, to have that many people in this, in this, um, restaurant but they like the owner was allowing them to do it and it was like in the basement and i was like this is badass as fuck like I'll, i want to hang out with these guys uh and then and then it went from there so sorry what were your questions again so how, how did i get involved in the libertarian party and yeah that's basically it how, how did you uh how did you get involved um you know why why the mises caucus what what is the mises caucus i guess okay um, yeah I'll probably ask, I'll ask that of somebody coming up on the show, but uh, yeah, what is, what is the Mises caucus for you specifically? Yeah. So, so for me, uh, I, I actually knew what the Mises caucus was before I really even knew what the libertarian party was because, because I went through the route of like, I basically got converted to libertarian politics through uh, 
both reading these books and also through the Mises Institute. So the Mises Institute is a think tank in Auburn, Alabama, or I think Auburn University. Um, mm -hmm. And the so reading these texts, it was pretty dense. I didn't quite understand all of it, but the way I was able to unpack it was by uh, digesting the material from from the Mises Institute. They have a, a blog and and uh, a lot of material to like under, really understand this stuff without you know I, like I'm a psycho who just like went to the to the to the <laughs> primary text first and then I went to understand. It. It's like you're supposed to do the opposite. You're supposed to kind of get a good grasp of the theory and then read the the text. Um, but because I I knew what the Mises Institute was, I, the Mises Caucus seemed like oh that's just like the political you know version of this this stuff that i like it's like the activist part of the the theory so it's it's not that's not quite what the mises caucus is but it's definitely inspired by um uh, like the mises institute and those and those ideas so um essentially the the mises caucus is um uh, it's 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 essentially a bunch of anarcho capitalists who just who weren't happy with the with the party leadership so i the there's a lot to talk about here, but I'll, I'll start with this. So the, the 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 leader of the Libertarian Party, uh, Nick Sarwark, he is like one one little example of of what might show why people join the Mises Caucus. He uh, once he 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 tweeted that the Mises Institute was the um, the preferred uh, think tank of white supremacists. So he just he basically sounded like a standard progressive. Like he, he sounded like Elizabeth Warren, who was like, "Oh my gosh, Elizabeth Warren is like." in charge of the libertarian party what's going on and he, i mean he, he he is a libertarian like he's not a progressive but like like he gave little signals like that trying to be like well oh, yeah. the the uh the anarcho-capitalist like you know wing of the libertarian party uh he's kind of trying to marginalize or like send signals that this isn't really what the party's about anymore and then the anarcho-capitalists and people you know who who got into it for a lot of the reasons I did like we just got really mad and we're like we need to get rid of these guys so that I, I guess that that's only half of the equation was the leadership of the Libertarian Party pissed a lot of people off um, and then the other half is that um, I think um, uh, just like the uh, it, I guess like I I haven't been I, I since I'm so new to it I don't want to I don't want to say too much about like without my own personal experience but it's a lot of, a lot of the 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 ideas that that I came came to it like people being motivated by that uh that that section of the libertarian party and wanting to promote it so yeah yeah i mean that that's kind of it's the whole reason i joined in too because i was just <clears throat> i was sick of all the garbage the the lp to me i mean i knew i knew a couple of libertarians back in college and to me they were just kind of dweebs <laughs> like it's like this is this is not something i really care to be a part of um republicans who smoke weed yeah republicans who smoke weed and just steal votes away from donald trump um that's <laughs> it um but uh yeah no the mises caucus uh what what michael heiss and uh the rest of the leadership's been able to do has been amazing just uh organizing and they, what they've really done is built community um i think that's yeah. been one of the coolest aspects of of me coming in was meeting you meeting the others in philly meeting the other uh mises caucus folks around philly and immediately feeling like home like these people immediately felt like family you know people that 
you know, I would go to war for, um, as much as us as, uh, libertarians hate war. Um, yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would, uh, you'd be tempted to break the nap sometime. <laughs> uh, I don't know about, I don't know about tempted to break the nap, but at least, uh, I'd be armed and willing to defend. Um, yeah. but, uh, you mentioned something that really, you've been kind of mentioning something over and over and over again that really uh, stuck out to me. Um, it seems you have a love of reading, and from what I understand, uh, you were uh, you were homeschooled growing up, right? And yeah, I was. Uh, you uh, that's that's kind of where you got your uh, uh, love of reading. Yeah, that is where I got my love of reading. That's pretty much my entire education, K through twelve, was reading nonstop. Yeah. So, so how was that? Like, how was that? Was your were your siblings homeschooled? Um, you know, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, so I, I'm one of five children. I'm the second oldest. And uh, all of us were homeschooled, at least for, I think, maybe through like fifth grade or so. So um, my brother and I were, were homeschooled kindergarten through 12th grade. And then uh, a couple of our younger siblings went to, well, the three other siblings went to went to uh, high, at least high school and then some. So there's a mix in there. Um, but so my, my experience of homeschooling was since I was the second oldest and I had uh, like three younger siblings. Essentially, once I got to fifth grade, um, my mom just gave me a stack of books and I just read them and nonstop. And like, I don't want to say my mom didn't teach me, but like, it was very hands off. Like, it was just like, here's a stack of really old books, like, uh, you know, Plato's Republic and um, like, like, uh, you know, like f- f- classical in medieval, you know, philosophy books. Um, and so I guess to, to backtrack real quick, I think the main motivation why we were homeschooled is that my mom, uh, wanted us, wanted to raise us in a Catholic environment. It was like, you know, like public schools or even Catholic schools. It was like, you, you, you can, you can, you can go there to get educated, but like what she really cared about was, was the culture that you're, you're raising your kids in. And so I think, I think that alone gave me a lot of confidence, uh, on uh you know creating like a counterculture because like from the day i was born it was like there's you know the way the way people are out there but like us and like our small group of like friends and um homeschool families are building building our own culture and that's just something that that always existed and i was like okay if you want to change the culture you can you can go do it like you can meet like-minded people and start building it like just that that i never that was never introduced to me that was just like where i was raised so to finish my my education so like maybe from fifth grade on uh fifth grade let's say fifth grade to high school it was just like my mom giving me a stack of books and then in high school it was a high school curriculum called colby academy from their uh, a school in california and then that was like there were like a list of of books where like the first year it was like greek uh, stuff and then the next year was Roman stuff and then after that it was medieval and then the fourth year was you know senior year was like modern and then they they had like example essay questions um, for for you know the books you read and things like that so there was like a loose structure to it but for me it was just like I just read them all and then like did the recommended things like like uh, questions and essays and things like that and then um, I got lucky for for science so with math I basically taught my self all the way through uh calc one through the saxon math books i was just a psycho and i just enjoyed it yeah um and i i mean i had friends who did that too it's like i don't know like one one out of maybe like one out of 20 people are just like the weirdos who enjoy 
just learning math and can do that. But most, you know, my siblings needed a little bit more structure uh, and there, there, there's a lot of different ways you can get, you, you can get that. Um, you can be taught, like, for example, like what we would do is our families would get together every week and, and uh, the, the, the parents would, would teach, would teach all the kids like one subject each. And like, it was, it was like a day of, of kind of school and having friends and things uh, at these co-ops. And we, at most we had like two, two different co-ops uh, once a week each. Um, and then for science, I got lucky where a retired science teacher uh, taught me AP chemistry and physics. Um, it was like a one-on-one -on -one for the chemistry. And then like two of us were there for the physics. So he was retired and he was just doing it for fun. Uh, and I just got really lucky and I enjoyed that. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was my experience homeschooling. My big takeaways from that are a, just like you can learn a lot just by reading nonstop and to, uh, building that culture from the ground up is a lot easier than people think, like not easier, but like a lot more possible than people think. Yeah. And that's a huge topic. I mean, uh, I know, um, you know, doing stuff with don't try on Philly and fighting against vaccine and mask mandates here in Philly. I, I ran into a lot of, uh, a lot of parents who are fed up with the public schools, um, fed up with the, uh, um, uh, the mask mandates and having to send their kids in wearing masks when, you know, kids just wasn't something that kids really needed to do. Um, but most of them, you know, you talk to them like, well, you've got a couple of choices. You can either send your kid to, uh, school and have them not wear a mask. And that could actually, that's actually fairly socially traumatic for kids. Uh, cause they, yeah, they were, the other kids were, were weaponized and, and turned into, you know, kind of demonizing the kids who weren't, weren't wearing masks or you can pull them out of the public schools, which I mean, yeah, even the most progressive amongst us here in Philly will admit that the Philly schools leave a lot to be desired. And so, you know, most of your wealthy kids here in the city are homeschooled, but where are not homeschooled. They are good. They go to private schools. So, but where does that leave, you know, the working class family up in Northeast Philly that, that sees the garbage that's going on in the public schools, don't want their kids involved in it, but can't, can't afford, um, can't afford private school. Uh, you know, the, so they just have to go and they send their kids masked up to, le to learn, uh, you know, woke nonsense. Um, so where it's like, where does that leave them? And most, most will say, well, why don't you homeschool? And they say, well, I don't have time, but obviously that's, that's a little bit of a, um, it's a little bit of a misconception. Like, uh, I don't imagine your, your parents were like teaching you eight hours a day, were they? <laughs> So my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she, like, essentially she would be spending all of her time on the younger kids, and the older kids were expected to just, like, you know, do, do what they do with minimal, um, like, supervision or teaching or being being taught. And, like, again, every kid's different. Um, so some people, like like me, um, thrived with, you know, the, the freedom, and some people need a little bit more discipline. Um so it depends on the kid, but yeah, it's like you, you, if you have, um, you know, multiple kids, you don't, you, it's not like the, it's not like my mom was like there on like a whiteboard, like teaching lessons. In fact, early where, you know, you need to teach young kids how to read and stuff. And they do need like that, that one-on-one -on -one attention, which I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But like, there was a lot of like videos, like I would watch uh, a teacher in school, like teach the, like give like. I don't want to call it a lecture for little kids, but like 
drawing like writing the each letter on the on uh, on the whiteboard and like i would copy it on the page and like my mom didn't have to do that herself every time but like you could you could play the video and watch watch the professional teacher and that kind of thing and there were workbooks and stuff uh but what i was going to say is um so homeschooling in my in my opinion uh has the most benefit the younger the kid is like people know how to read and write they can follow like so so what, what so the way it worked was my mom used a curriculum called sing spell read and write and that was like it had workbooks where like a parent was expected to like walk the kid through the thing so it wasn't just like the parents just come up with their own teaching style on the fly it's like there's a thing designed for you to teach your child young child like how to do the fundamentals like how to write like basic letters and read and things like that uh so it's it's um yeah it's like it's like it's you're not just on your own and it's not just like oh you sit your kid in front of a computer and then they look like they follow something like i i didn't use any computers at all when i was growing up it was like my mom teaching me through a thing that was designed for homeschoolers to to teach uh young children those things so in my experience the 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 younger the kid is the more benefit you're going to get out of homeschooling because you get a lot of that you get that one-on-one attention when you're teaching them how to count and things like that and as they get older i'd say like a more classroom setting would be more beneficial like for example i'd say high school is probably uh a good like is, is a good time where you 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 get more benefit out of like math teachers science teachers like teachers to help you learn or write but the more younger they are the the, the more benefit you get out of homeschooling i think yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and what, what you're saying, I mean, it, it makes me think that, yeah, it's, you know, the options, the options sound kind of, end, of endless, you know, you have endless options, you know, you're able to tailor, tailor things to what your kids need, even your own time needs. Um, I mean, I know there's a lot of great curriculums out there. The, uh, the libertarians will be put, will push the uh, Ron Paul homeschool curriculum quite a bit, but it's, it's obviously not, I mean, obviously it is a, it is a undertaking. It's not something that's just like, Oh, this is easy. Um, it's definitely a sacrifice to have your, your kids at home, but especially in this, in, in this age of a lot of people working remotely too, and working from home, um, it's, it's a lot less, uh, homeschooling sounds a lot less uh, impossible than, than at first glance. Yeah, absolutely. And again, like I, I, um, I went K through 12 with like minimal, like, you know, one, one science teacher. And I, um, I was able to get, uh, I was top of my class in engineering school and that like going into school was, was not difficult. Like I was, I was very prepared for college. Nice. Well, let's bring this, uh, all the way back to the present day. Um, so why, uh, why did you decide to, uh, um, uh, you know, lead an insurrection and take over LP Philly. <laughs> so, uh, it wasn't yeah, really so an I, insurrection, by the way. <laughs> no, I, I, I basically became the chair of Philly when the, I, I was the most experienced person there, like the person that was there the longest. So a lot of people, I don't blame them. They move. A lot of people come to like, come to our meetings and then they move out of the city and then they're no longer Philadelphia citizens. And so, yeah, I'm the most senior person here uh, in, in, in the committee. And um, there were a lot of really good people who, uh, who who brought me in when I when I came into LP Philly. Shout out to Matt Wallace, Calvin, JT, Joy. Like, 
they were the ones who really set a good example. And when they all left, I was like, oh, shoot, like I'm this I'm the experienced <laughs> guy. I'm the, like the grizzled veteran is me. I've only been here a year. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so like when, it, when I started coming to meetings, it was just like over Zoom and it was like, you know, whatever. And then I was going to the like I said, I went to the Montgomery County meetings because they were meeting in person. And that's where I kind of met um, met a lot of the people. So that happened to be Michael Heiss's act. Um, county as well so i was able to meet him i knew him through like i knew about the mises caucus through like podcasts and things and i was like oh these are the guys who started it like it's just like in my city that's kind of cool uh so that's so that that was actually a big reasons why i became um i got involved in the mises caucus because they were the people like they were the first people i met who were meeting in, in the middle of covid uh so for philly i you know i'd go to their meetings and like we uh it, it would be a fun time like uh JT, RIP JT, moved to Florida, but like we had, <laughs> uh, we had a lot of fun parties at his house. It would be like random Saturdays, or we had like the Christmas parties, a lot of good times, and there was like uh, a lot of people coming out for for some of those big events. So yeah, we <laughs> we got to get some of those people coming back and staying maybe. Uh, but oh, yeah. like as yeah, so as as I um, you know, I just kept going to meetings, doing like trying to figure out what people were doing, and then I realized at a certain point like. They're so uh it was like wait so like if i have ideas i can i can actually put it into action like it's 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 like uh it doesn't take a lot of like what, what one thing i realize is as far as organizing something it doesn't take a lot of people to organize something like if you come to one of our meetings and you care and, and there's something you really care about and you want to push like it you have a very very disproportionate impact like if you it, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't take more than six or seven people to like get get legislation in front of city hall it doesn't take more than six or seven people to to start an event uh a social event get people to show up at it doesn't take that many people to run uh a, a campaign uh to like you know use that as a platform to promote the things you want so like the the um the people we have at coming to our meetings right now are uh are a lot of like really motivated people um one of the things i'm trying to do right now is is build uh, connections to a lot of uh, organizations who who are who are promoting issues that we care about, so we can like co coalition on certain issues, even if we don't agree on like a bunch of different political things. Like for example, right before this, uh, I was at a decriminalize Philly uh, Zoom call where they're they're trying to get organized and get legislation in front of City Hall to decriminalize uh, psychedelics, and uh, they <laughs> they uh, the I'm on their agenda because I volunteered to. Uh, you know try try to learn as much as i can about psychedelics and like put put together like a one page summary of of uh like a pitch to someone on the street that you could say this is why we're doing this so uh what what, what i want to do is i want to try to find as many different like little organizations that we can like partner with and as people come into philly i can find out what they care about what they find meaning in like are they activists do they like to write like all that stuff and then i can just like funnel them into something that they um that they enjoy like do they want to run a campaign do they want to get in front of people do they just want to like you know do do tech stuff we have plenty of those <laughs> libertarian party programmers <laughs> i'm one of them uh but um yeah that's it's uh it's been a lot of fun and um yeah we're, we're getting getting more and more people coming to meetings and it's a lot more we, we got some good energy and uh for example like we, we've uh before my time we've run campaigns uh like M Maj Tory ran for uh city council i think and 
through all that time, we never actually got a website that was like more than just like um, um, like a like a, a simple like bare bones site. And I'm like, we have some, we have a uh, shout out to Alex Holland. He he he's a an art major. He put together a, a mock up of a website, and we have some some programmers who can make something that we can we can be proud of and can last for a while. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been good. Cool. I, I mean, I, I uh, totally agree with you on the whole issues thing. I mean, that's kind of why uh, that's why that's how D, uh, Don't Tread on Philly started. Uh, it was a it was a single issue thing. There were, it was a coalition. Uh, we, you know, we partnered with people across Philly. We partnered with uh, Children's Health Defense, PCIC, uh, Health Alert Philly, um, Health Freedom Pennsylvania, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and there's, there's so many other groups out there. I mean, I've, I've come across like, uh, Philadelphians are open schools. Um, I've come across some other like school choice, uh, groups. There's so many different groups that, that could be reached. Um, you know, I've thought about trying to tap into a little bit of the crypto community around here in Philly. You know, that's, that's go, gotta be somewhere. Um, in fact, one of the people that just joined up with the party, uh, that we met this past week's big into crypto. So it'd be cool to, to go to some crypto meetings with him or something. Um, but yeah, it, and <laughs> these issue coalitions are uh, kind of a big deal because if, if you know anything about Philadelphia, while it is sort of the spiritual home of Liberty here in the U S, um, I would say, and I kind of want to get your opinion on this. Um, I would say Liberty is probably on life support here in the city at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it's a Democrat stronghold, just like a lot of big cities. It's like you, you still see people double masked outside, uh, you know, walking around city hall. Um, in fact, one, one thing I wanted to say earlier about what you were talking about with like masks and stuff is like right now, uh, Democrats have done a really good job of creating like a friend enemy distinction where like you they have a lot of good ways of showing that you're like what side you're on like if you're wearing a mask right now just like in broad daylight or in your car or something by yourself like that's like a signal like of of, of you can probably guess 99% of their other politics if just just off that um, and yeah I mean like I haven't, um, so, uh, that's, that's, the, that's actually kind of a blessing in disguise though, because like, like Scott Horn says, we can attack the left from the left and the right from the right. So like if, if the city's extremely progressive, like progressives are good on, on some issues we care about, like, you know, like we were talking about with psychedelics, like they're, they're, crip, they're critical of, uh, of the police and like um, criminal justice and things like that. And like, there's things we can work with them on. And honestly, like if we're better than the progressives on the issues that progressives care, like claim to care about, like that, that can make a big difference. Like we can be like the tip of the spear attacking some issue that Democrats aren't even hitting as hard as we can. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take a lot of people to do that. Um, but yeah. Like I said, with uh, decriminalized nature, like those guys, like those people care a lot more about drugs than I do. Like I, I have barely taken a drug in my life. Like I, obviously, I don't think people should go to prison over that, but that's just not something I, I'm excited about. But like the politics, uh, ex excites excites me a ton. And like I just walk into there and I'm like, hey guys, they they talk about like 
going to farmers markets and talking to random people and they're like eh, i don't know like we're we can get around to doing that and i'm like what day what time i'm there let's do it <laughs> like i i shouldn't be the most motivated person about like decriminalizing nature i don't know anything about that stuff but i can become the most educated person and the most motivated person just because um you know just because it's something something i want to do and it you can it's like le leading the charge on our progressive issues is is feels a little strange in my, in my experience but <laughs> yeah it, but does, it doesn't take much yeah that, but that's a good point though because i mean we with the mises caucus uh particularly you know mike heiss you know, engineered a horrible white supremacist takeover of the uh, Libertarian Party. Uh, really, what it was is that, you know, the, the, the Mises caucus was just so effective and organized that, you know, the only rebuttal our enemies had were, oh, you guys are bigots. Well, I mean, if people know my story, uh, and, and I'll get into it more in the next episode, but yeah, I'm not I'm definitely, I'm not a bigot. Um, nobody I've met in the Mises caucus is a bigot. I mean, there are some people with some brash opinions and, and not, and no filter, but if you, uh, if you actually talk to them, you know, they're wonderful people and they care about, they care about their neighbors. They care about their community. Um, yeah, but they, they're just definitely not from a, you know, they're, they're definitely not woke. They're definitely not progressive from an economic standpoint, but there are a lot of things that, that we do value and we could bring to the table for the, uh, for the progressives on, on good issues such as psychedelics. Um, cause yeah, the, the LPPA just, just passed a resolution supporting, uh, research and funding for psychedelics here in uh in pa and that's legislation that could literally save lives um and it's needed and one of the cooler things that i think i've been able to see when we're out gathering signatures for state rep is like a, you know my favorite people to talk to are uh, progressives who are willing to have an open conversation my least favorite people to talk to are progressives that see uh, Viking runes on my arm and automatically assume that makes me a Nazi uh, and slam the door in the, my face. Um, when in fact, my Viking runes are uh, specifically a message for mental health awareness. Um, meaning, you know, as long as the sun rises in the morning, there's hope. Like, don't give up hope. Yet, I'm a Nazi because I used runes. Um, and you know, actually it was, it was Vikings and Nordic folks who were um, some of the best and strongest dissidents against the Nazis. It doesn't make sense. But one of the, one of the things I can really lead on every time I talk to somebody is the whole psychedelic issue. I can say, Hey, you know, I, I want to see uh, psychedelics decriminalized. Cause first of all, you know, they're, they're not all that. I mean, they have to be respected. Um, they're, they're not to just be messed with, but they have to be respected most people who are wanting to use them these days, I mean, they aren't out there, you know, causing problems. They're mostly peaceful people looking for some sort of mental health healing. Um, and that can really relate to the progressive crowd. And then what people are always shocked by is that uh, the leading uh, the leading person in the state's uh, state house uh, for this psychedelic research happens to be a Republican, which is shocking. And when I told my progressive, you know, friends and neighbors that they're like, what, how can that be? And I'm like, and yeah, you, you talk to the decriminalized nature people and they'll tell you that you, you talk to the Democrats in city hall. They don't know what a psychedelic is. I mean, they don't know what, they don't know the difference between psilocybin and fentanyl, you know? Um, so yeah, it is a huge opportunity. Um, so my next, my next kind of question is, yeah, what, uh, 
you know, you've touched on it a little bit, but what, uh, what, what sort of is your, your vision here for Philly? What do you think can, can happen? Is there, is there hope for the city? Yeah. So my, um, my three-year plan is to, is basically uh, centered around campaigns. So I think one of the thing, great things you did with, um, with Don't Trot on Philly is that you focused it all on building a culture. And so that that's really what, um, what I'm after is building a strong culture, even if it's just like within our small group, if you can like build a strong culture have in within like a, you know, a tight knit, uh, well-organized group, that is, uh, the thing that like, that really moves politics. Like one, I think one thing people don't understand is that like human beings don't like big groups of people don't organize themselves. Like, like the difference between a well-organized, you know, like, uh, I've been reading like some some communist history, so s- sorry if I use some like commie examples here. But like the 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 Russian Revolution wasn't just like a bunch of poor people storming like the 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 um, the government buildings. Like it was it was an organized elite that like uh, that organized people and like you know did the revolution. Like the French Revolution was the same. The American Revolution was the same. It's led by these like small uh well-organized groups and like that's 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 what i'm trying to create here i want to be like the well-organized leadership that can be like the lightning rod for something to to happen and we're just building a foundation so my three-year plan is first we're running a uh a state rep campaign which is <laughs> your campaign which i just i just handed in 461 <laughs> signatures uh <laughs> Yeah, sorry to let the cat out of the bag, but <laughs> it, it, hey, it could just be a paper campaign. This might be the end of it. Uh, but uh, so that that you know gave us like like I said, we're we're young. I've only been a part of this a year. I haven't been on any campaigns, so learning the process here, uh, getting getting on the ballot was the first step, and we'll see where we go from here. Um, but then the next step is maybe run a bigger campaign. So like maybe find someone for governor or for uh, council or something like that, and and try to try to get on like a bigger platform and then after that 2024 is the presidential campaign so hopefully dave smith maj tory uh maj is from philadelphia he you know we don't know what's gonna happen like we know dave definitely wants to run for president uh maj isn't we we, we don't know so much for vp but we know maj has shown interest uh but if we get a, the vp candidate from philly like that could that could be a really big deal like that could get people really fired up so my immediate goal, my immediate three-year plan is to have a great presidential 2024 campaign. Like that's, that's, um, our immediate, our, our, our immediate project. Cause a lot, a lot so for li- libertarian politics, quote, normies don't usually know who the libertarian candidate, um, is, uh, you know, other than every four years, like some people might've heard of Joe Jorgensen, um, I'd say like, you know, maybe 80% of people know who Gary Johnson is. That was, that was a big deal, but like, you know, they'll definitely know who Dave Smith is. Everyone will know who Dave Smith is. In fact, I can see a huge, huge opportunity coming up where you could get Donald Trump, who, you know, he's just like old news. Everyone knows who Donald Trump is and what he's about. Like people are going to know, like there's not, it's not going to be exciting anymore. It's not going to be like, Oh my gosh, Donald Trump tweeted that like people are used to that. And then for the Democrats, it's probably either going to be Joe Biden. Maybe he'll resign. Maybe he'll resign on day one. Uh, Like it worked last time. Maybe it'll work again. Hillary Clinton might run just some, uh, we know the Democrats are going to run someone 
terrible. Uh, <laughs> someone familiar, someone who yeah. who like people know who they are, and it's it's going to be so boring. Like, who, who wants to hear Donald Trump and Joe Biden? They're they're not even going to debate. So like, it's just they're just going to be like sending talking points to the media. Like, who who cares? This is the hugest opportunity for a third party to like really seize the narrative. Like people aren't going to give a crap about those two. Even you know, the, we're not going to win the presidential campaign or the the, the presidential uh, uh, election. But like, Dave Smith can go on all these alternative platforms, and like people will not be able to will not be able to ignore him. Like this is a huge opportunity. So in Philly, if this is our one opportunity every four years where people like really care about you know come out for libertarian politics, like. We want to be ready for them. We want to be a well-organized group. We want to we want to be ready to like seize whatever opportunity we get there. And I, I believe that, uh, you know, God willing, if Dave Smith runs for president, uh, we'll have some good opportunities in Philly to get to reach people who you know don't even know we exist. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, just real quick, uh, you know, we're, we don't have a ton of time remaining but if anybody has any questions for mark feel free to, to drop them in the chats and we'll uh we'll ask but you're spot on about the opportunity because the rnc pulled out of the presidential debates so as of now they're not happening in 2024 uh there are a lot of whispers of uh donald trump begging to get on joe rogan um <laughs> which would be huge because i mean john i mean joe rogan is probably uh I mean, he's probably he probably has the biggest impact of cult on culture of any single human being. Yeah, he's um, got more views in this country right now. And Dave actually, Rogan. one of the cool thing is is uh, uh, Dave Smith. Uh, Joe Rogan's a comedian. Uh, Dave Smith is a comedian by trade. Uh, they are friends from their trade, and and Dave's been on yeah. Rogan like five or six times. And Rogan has already said, you know, if you run, I'm voting for you. Um, so that it, like, yeah, there, there's a huge, huge opportunity here because, you know, the power, the power and influence centers are moving away from sort of the, you know, the traditional, um, corporate press and starting to move towards, uh, independent media. And you've got, uh, you know, I mean, Joe voted, uh, Joe Rogan voted for Joe Jorgensen, um, in 2020. And he states that over and over again. Um, you know, Tim Poole is constantly talking about the Mises Caucus. He's had uh, he's had Dave Smith on. He's had Michael Malice, who's not part of the Mises Caucus, but he's good friends with Dave and very well connected to a lot of folks in the caucus. He's had he's had Malice on. He's had Angela, the the uh, LNC chair. Uh, Michael Larry Heist, Sh too. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Heist was on there last year. Um, Larry Sharp, the New York, uh, the libertarian candidate for governor in uh, New York, was on recently as well. Uh, Spike Cohen. Um, yeah, like all of these uh, growing sort of media, alternate media platforms are sort of being flooded with uh, libertarian thought. And it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, yeah, we, we really need to take advantage of that here in Philly, because um, as as I said last time, yeah, it, it's 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 terrible. Liberty is on life support. But I, I, I do I do believe that. Uh, I do believe that that history rhymes and uh, Philly can be a great beacon for freedom and liberty here in this in this country again. And, you know, in my time out knocking on doors and then in my time sort of fighting against the vaccine mandates, I've met so many people that are just fed up with the system. But there's just no alternate uh, alter alternative. 
you know, why, why can't we be that alternative? Yeah. In fact, here, here, here's a interesting point. Like let's say one out of a thousand people in Philadelphia are libertarian. It's like that, that seems pretty low. Right. But then yep. there are a million and a half people. So a thousand, if there's a million people, that's um, a thousand people, you know, per million. So Philadelphia, like even if the percentage of libertarians is small, the numbers are pretty big. Philadelphia has a huge opportunity. Here's another example. Um, so when 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 each county, they count out how many votes go to libertarians. Like the the Philadelphia, like tip, tip, every, typical county has about one and a half percent people voting for libertarian candidates. Philadelphia has only half a percent of people voting for libertarian candidates, but they're the second or third greatest number of votes in in Pennsylvania. So it's like just getting that up to like 0.6% could make them number one. Like it's like the, the Philly can't be ignored. Like we, we talk about how annoying it is that it's such a, like a blue stronghold. But like you said, when you go door to door, it's like every person isn't going, Oh, are you, uh, what do you think about guns? Oh, you love guns? Leave. Like, no, people are, people are extremely disillusioned. Like there, there's so much opportunity. Like you don't need to reach every person. You just need to reach like, you know, one out of a hundred. And that, that makes a huge difference uh, when, when the population is this big. Yeah. It, it comes down to organization. I mean, um, yep. you know, it, it's, it's not, you don't need 51% to change a city. You don't need 51% to change a country. You know, the, the masses, the masses are fickle. You know, some, some people are, are purposely ignorant. A lot of people, they don't have time. They don't have time to sit here and listen to this podcast. They don't have time to really research yeah. what's going on. So they're relying on, you know, they're either re relying on CNN and MSNBC or Fox news to get all of their information. And then they just, you know, make choices based on that. And then they, you know, whether or not they're Republican or Democrat, they come around and say, well, gosh, these people sucked. Why did I vote for them? Um, it, it's, you really need, it, it comes down to the organization. If we could find those you know, thousand people that are fed up here in Philly and willing to get together and work towards it. Um, and if we outwork the Democrats and the Republicans here in the city um, and the Republicans are, are frankly giving up, but uh, if we outwork the Democrats, we, we have a chance to actually make a real change. And when people say, yeah, I'm sick of the two parties, I'm sick of, I'm sick of the, the government and the waste and, and all the garbage going on. What's my alternative? You know, we, we have a chance to make it so that they don't laugh us out of, out of the room when we say liberty's the alternative. Yeah. And one thing that's important to remember is like very few people are going to come to these ideas the way I did. Like people aren't going to read like a thousand page book and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so enlightened. They'll like jump, jump into the politics. It's like, no, people do stuff because uh, people, they respect and like, you know, their friends are doing it. Like it's about building culture. Like culture is what actually motivates people. It's like when people vote, um, it's because they want to get that asshole down Donald Trump out of the white house. It's because like they're losing their abortion rights or like they're, they want to keep their, keep their guns. And like, it's, it's like some kind of like really strong, uh, issue that's motiv motivating them. And it's not like a logical thing. It's a cultural thing. It's, uh, I don't want to say emotional, but it's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's something that hits them right in the gut. And the thing that hits that, that makes you motivates you and hits you right in the gut is like the people you're around, like the, the air you're breathing. And, um, and yeah, if we can make it like, you know, a little subculture in Philly around this, like that, that's how we, that's how we get people, um, 
that's how we spread our message and, and, and make things happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the cool thing is it's, it's already starting. Um, there's just a lot of cool groups uh, that are meeting and doing things. And, um, you know, that's kind of a good segue um, to sort of start wrapping up here. My friend, uh, my friend Linda asks, uh, does the Philly Libertarian Party have meetings when and where? No, we don't have meetings. And I don't know. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> so we have monthly meetings uh, every third Tuesday. We've been meeting at Ryan's Pub um, in, in Manny. Yep. Um, and it's always a good time. Like there's always good energy. Like I try to run meetings where, you know, the, 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 the Roberts rules, the procedures like serve us. We don't serve the rules. So we, I try to keep the, the business as, um, as quick, as quick as possible and really have, have a fun culture building time. And, you know, there's try to have like, you know, half and half, half, uh, business to talk about what we're doing. And then the other half really just building camaraderie and building that culture. So yeah, it's a good time. Just come out. It, you'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So that again, that's the, uh, that's the third Tuesday of every month. Uh, if I have my dates right, that will be the August 22nd is the next one. What time are those meetings typically? August 23rd. Uh, so 23rd. the, um, the, uh, yeah, I just pulled it up on my computer. Yep. Uh, the, uh, so we, we like to meet at seven, uh, business starts at seven thirty. Um, so, you know, that, that first half hour, uh, just hanging out, um, and talking and then we try to keep business under an hour. And then after that, you know, we can hang out some more. Um, but, you know, if it's if there's not a ton of business, it can be like a 15 minute business meeting and, you know, a half hour like that's that's not it's not a bad thing. Um, and yeah, it's a good time. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say uh, unless there are any other questions, which not not too many have actually come through. Um, people have been popping in and out all, all night. Um I really appreciate uh, you walking us through kind of your story, your, your background and uh, you know, what you see for Philly in the future. Um, are any, uh, do you have any thoughts, quotes, ideas that you'd uh, like to leave us on? Uh, I guess I'll just re re repeat my point about uh, how organization is like the most important thing, like in politics, like it's not uh it's not like, oh, a, a million or 10 million people voted for the thing and then the thing happened. It's like, no, like there were people who who organized it, promoted it, um, motivated people like people don't organize themselves. Like the difference between um, like, a, you know, the the American Revolution and January 6th is that January 6th didn't have leaders. It wasn't organized. It didn't, you know, like I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying that it should have been, but like. The, the reason why January 6th was just like a mob running into a building and taking a tour and leaving and like, you know, uh, the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the British getting kick, kicked out of their government buildings was all about organization. And there was like a small, you know, tight knit group that, um, that had a strong culture that promoted things. And like, we want to be that, uh, the tip of that spear, that well-organized group that really like, really pushes things along in the direction we want. And I think, I think the more people we have a part of that, the better it's going to have, be a good time. Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, any, where, where can, um, where can people find out more about LP Philly? Um, I know, I know there's a website that, that's going website, up, but yeah. I think, I think right now it's just going redirecting back to LPPA. 
Um, I mean, what do we got? We yeah, got so I, L- I would. Yeah, go ahead. We got we got what lpphilly.org. You're, we've got at lpphilly on on Twitter. You've got your own personal at Mark. Uh, so at I M- would Jack. I, I would say follow uh, LP Philly on Facebook. That's where you're gonna like get updates for things that are going on. Um, so yeah, like you said, our, our our main hub is gonna be our website lpphilly.org. Like I said, we have uh, we have a, a mock up. Like we have we have it sketched out. We know what we want to have on it. Uh, we just got to get some some programmers um, uh, to put that website together. But yeah, right now uh, search LP Philly uh on facebook follow that page and that's 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 how you can um you can see what's going on and what events we have and things like that cool well uh thank you so much uh so much mark for taking some time out of your night and uh joining us here uh always uh, always a pleasure to talk with you um and i guess i'll be seeing you several more times this week <laughs> so <laughs> yep. yeah you have a good night um i'm gonna i'm gonna pull you off the stage here and and uh just do a little bit more housekeeping all right um, yeah so thanks yeah thanks for having me and uh, i'll see you yeah cool yeah everybody th- uh, that's mark uh your again um a friend of mine i've gotten to spend a lot of time with him signature gathering i've had some really good philosophical uh uh, conversations with him. He's a he's a brilliant, young, energetic mind, uh, ready to make a difference here in Philly. Um, if you'd like to hang out with them, we're going to be at uh, Liberty on the Rocks tomorrow night. Uh, that's uh, that's Tuesday, July twenty sixth. We are going to be at Adobe Cafe in South Philly. I think it's somewhere between Seventh and Eighth uh, Street, uh, not too far south of South Street. But uh, we're going to be out there for the Liberty on the Rocks gathering. A lot of people um join in there uh mark sometimes comes to don't tread on philly uh we're gonna we typically have that on wednesday nights at five o'clock till you know, usually around 8 30 or so um at uh, bodega bar and kitchen um again we'll be there the, this wednesday uh yeah and as always you know you know check out don't tread on philly um, you know, don't try on philly.com. You can get some merch through there. There's always the, the cool don't try on Philly shirts and the, uh, my personal favorite, the, uh, Jimbo to get Mo 2023 t-shirt in, uh, honor of our outgoing mayor who, uh, yeah, if there's anybody that belongs in, in Gitmo, uh, it's probably our mayors and governors. Um, but yeah, follow us at, uh, at don't tread Philly uh on twitter instagram don't tread on philly uh you can always email me at info at don't tread on philly.com um and yeah we're gonna have some cool stuff again uh we're gonna have jacob winograd uh next week um doing uh religion and politics we're gonna have adam nutter discussing comedy and and sort of just the cultural side of freedom and then, uh, th- yeah, this Thursday, it uh, should be a special episode. I'm, I'm going to be talking just about uh, giving you just some more background on me and how I ended up here and what's been going on. And as always, you know, check out uh, LP Philly, lpphilly.org, at LP Philly on Twitter. You can follow Mark personally on Twitter at mjerchak. Um, and then, uh, of course, just uh, search LP Philly on Facebook for probably the most up-to-date information. But again, thank you so much uh, for watching. I mean, I, I was blown away by uh, positive feedback on the first episode. Hopefully, this one will be uh, will be to your liking as well. And we should have some more fun and uh, interesting stuff here in the future. So, 
again, thank you so much for spending your Monday night with us. And uh, yeah, peace out. <laughs>